All right, let's start with uh, the scripture passage for today. If everyone can stand for the reading of God's word to honor it, uh, to declare that it is God who speaks to us these words today. It comes to us from John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. After I read it, uh, I will say this is the word of the Lord. And for those who agree, uh, you say, thanks be to God. I'll pray for you. You may be seated, and then I'll, I'll share the message. John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11 says this. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. He tells you to do. Uh, now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for you. God, we just want to thank you for this word. Lord, it's not just words written on a page. Lord, people did write it on a page, but Lord, it's not just that. You are act actively sharing these words, speaking these words to us today. And I know it, we need to hear them. And I, I pray that, Lord, not just hear them, understand them, but Lord, that we would respond Lord, we respond with our lives. We respond in worship, which means to declare you so worthy. Lord, we thank you for these words. May you have a powerful, powerful impact in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So obviously the scripture passage, if you've been to church before, we're going to talk about Jesus turning water to wine. It's one of the miracles that people talk about in Scripture. Uh, and, and when we talk about Scripture, I know that we can be amazed at the miracles themselves as, you know, G Jesus did miracles. But beyond the miracles are deeper messages that Jesus is trying to say. And I hope today that more than the miracle itself, that we understand what Jesus is really trying to say, right? In this passage, in John chapter 2, verse 11, the last verse, it says this, this, the first of his signs, the signs, right? First of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, what are signs? Aren't signs basically physical symbols of a coming reality, 
right? That's what signs are, right? If you see a railroad sign, you know that there's tracks coming, right? Right after the sign, you could expect that there's tracks and then there might be a train coming, right? If there's a deer crossing, it's telling you, hey, watch out, because after this sign is the reality that there might be some deers, right? Sign language, it's physical signs with your hands try, uh, revealing what you're trying to say. It's, it's physical symbols sharing a reality of some kind. The Bible, if you didn't know, the Bible is full I mean full, so many signs in the Bible. God gives us physical symbols of a spiritual reality, and he's telling us, if you see only the physical symbol without the spiritual reality, you're not getting the picture. You know, back in the uh, Jewish days, Old Testament, God says, get an unblemished lamb Make sure it has no scars. It doesn't have broken bones. You have to. And he's very specific. And he gets really upset if you don't follow the directions really well. Get an unblemished lamb and sacrifice it. And when you do, God's wrath will not be poured on you anymore. Right? But that lamb is a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. It's not that the, there's some kind of power in this unblemished lamb. This unblemished lamb is a physical symbol of the spiritual reality of Jesus. It's Jesus who is the lamb of God, and he's perfect, and he's holy, right? He's righteous. There's nothing wrong with him. There's, he's so perfect that, he, that the only symbol is Get an unblemished lamb. There's no power in the lamb itself. But when you do, you are symbolizing that Jesus someday is going to die for you. That the power is in, in the sacrifice of the lamb of God in your life. See, there's so many of these things going on. And this miracle that we talk about, Jesus turning water to wine, is not just water to wine. It's a sign. John says, this is a sign. You have to understand that it's a sign. And so knowing that, let's get into the passage, right? Knowing that, let's get into the passage. John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, shares the context of what's going on. Jesus and his disciples and his mother were all invited to a wedding in Cana in Galilee. Now, Jewish weddings back then lasted seven days. I just officiated a wedding just not too, not too uh, long ago. And just to get a one-day wedding, there's so much planning, right? So much planning, so much stress. If you've been a part of it, you know, like, you get stressed out. This is seven days of a wedding feast, a wedding and then a wedding feast. There's so many things that go on in a Jewish wedding. And the groom... Right? The groom was expected to provide food and wine for all seven days. Expensive wedding. Right? Expensive wedding. Food and wine for all the guests for all seven days. And in John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, the unthinkable happened. The unthinkable happened. They ran out of wine to serve all the guests, whether there were more guests than they planned or whether they didn't have enough wine in the beginning. We don't know, but they ran out of wine. And to run out of wine, it was a disgrace. It was an embarrassment of 
like to the max. It was for the groom and the groom's family. And in some cases, did you know, if they run out of wine, they could be sued back then. It was such a big deal, right, that you have to be hospitable to all the guests. And they would be sued for a breach of hospitality, right? It was a serious offense to some that you don't have enough wine, so Jesus' mother goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they ran out of wine. They ran out of wine. And then she goes right to the servants, it says, and she says this, do whatever this man tells you to do. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So in John chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, Jesus starts telling the servants what to do. He tells the servants to take six 20 to 30 gallon stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification. It says that clearly in scripture, right? And he says to the servants, fill them up with water all the way to the brim, completely. Until you see the water just overflowing, make sure it's to the brim, and then scoop some out immediately, and then take it to the master of the feast, and then when the master of the feast tasted this water now turned to wine, this master of the feast just reacts like, what is this? How come you, how come you saved the best tasting wine until now? Right? Usually in Jewish weddings, you serve the good wine, and then they get a little tippy and kind of, you know, like they don't know what's going on. And then you serve the bad wine at the end when they don't know what's going on. Right? And so Jesus is saying, that's how everyone does it, but you have saved the best tasting. I've never tasted wine like this. Where did you get this? Right? And he says, why did you do this? Now, what just happened is that Jesus had just turned six stone water jars full of water to six stone water jars full of wine. Now, as we go through this story, if you've ever gone through the story, this question has to be asked. Okay? This question has to be asked. I don't know if everyone asked this question, but it has to be asked. Why did Jesus use six 20 to 30 gallon stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification. I know that sounds long, but that's right in scripture. And, and John is very clear. He doesn't say six stone water jars, 20 to 30 gallon, six stone water jars. He says they are used for the Jewish rites of purification. Why did Jesus do that? Right? Because he could have easily filled all the wine jars the empty wine jars full of water, and then he just uses it as wine, right? Why didn't he do that? Why these six stone water jars? And the reason I ask is this. If you know what these are, you would ask this, that these stone, six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification shouldn't have been used for holding wine. They shouldn't have been used for holding wine. See, according to the Jewish custom, right, and not only custom, but according to the Jewish law, right, the lowest servant of the house was called to wash the dirt off the hands and feet of all the guests with water from the six stone water jars, right? The water from there, wash the hands and feet so that under law, they are declared clean enough, pure enough, to come inside the house and share a meal together. That was 
what the Jewish law and the, the six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification was for. That's all these stone water jars were used for. Right? That's why it's weird. Why does he use these stone water jars? These stone water jars were not supposed to be used to drink wine out of. It's equivalent right, to today. If Jesus goes to your house, if you had a wedding at your house, you ran out of wine, and then Jesus goes and calls servants over and says, come with me. And then he goes into your bathroom, right? And he says, this bathtub, fill it up with water, right? And then he changes all the water to wine, and then he scoops some out, and then he, you drink that wine out of your bathtub, right? And I'm sure of it, people would say, no, 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 Jesus, don't use this bathtub, that's for cleaning our bodies, right? Use this pitcher, right? Use these cups. Use wine bottles. Use stuff that wine should be in. Don't be using this stuff. So that's what's going on. But still, Jesus specifically says, use these six 20 to 30 gallon stone water jars used for the Jewish rites of purification, why? What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus takes these six stone water jars, fills them up with water, turns them into wine to share a spiritual reality. He's not just helping somebody out of trouble. He's using this circumstance, situation, to share a message. He's trying to say something through what he's doing here. Jesus is revealing that what the waters, right, the waters to clean the dirt off your hands and feet might be, that they, they might be good enough for us to come inside and eat and be declared physically clean, yes, that the waters can, be, can do that, but the waters can never leave you completely clean, completely pure, completely righteous. It will never, these waters, whatever these waters can do for you, it can never declare you righteous in the eyes of God. He's saying these waters aren't good enough. So what Jesus does is turn the waters that are meant to cleanse you, purify you, right? Declare you righteous under the Jewish law, and he turns it into wine. And then in the New Testament, we know that the wine is a representation of the blood of Jesus. If you've taken communion before, right? We remember that Jesus stood up and he takes the bread, breaks it, and he says, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the cup full of wine and he says, this is my blood shed for you. In the New Testament, the wine is a representation. It's a sign. It's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. Do you see that? It's a spiritual reality of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. So when Jesus, what Jesus is revealing when he turned water to wine, listen to this, is not that he has the power to turn water to wine. Even though he can, even though he did, what Jesus is revealing is not that I have the power to turn water to wine. If you ever have a 
party and you run out of wine, you're like, God, you did it before. I know you have the power to do it again. God is going to come to you and go, that's not why I did that. Nor is he trying to reveal that he could get us out of trouble. The groom was in trouble. The groom's family was going to be so embarrassed when people found out. They were going to be the shame of the town. God, help us. How are we going to go through this? Jesus is not revealing in this story that God's going to help you when you get into trouble like that. Even though he can. I'm not saying he can't. Definitely he can, but that's not the message of today's story, our passage today. Jesus is revealing that what the waters can't do, the blood of Jesus can do for you. That's what he's revealing. For anyone who drinks of my blood, and which means to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to accept Jesus into your life and to completely give your life to Jesus, right? That's what it means to drink of his blood. It talks about it in John 6, 53 to 58, right? Eat of my flesh, right? Drink of my blood. And people are like, whoa, what is this, right? It's to accept Jesus with everything that you have, everything that he is. Accept him and completely give your life to him. Become one with him, right? Anyone who drinks of my blood, he's saying, not only will the blood of Jesus be the best tasting, the greatest blessing, the greatest satisfaction of your life. Like the master of the feast. Remember when he drank this wine? He's like, how good is this? Where did you get this? Why are you saving this? What are you doing? This is amazing wine. I've never tasted something like this. That's how we're going to react. Not only will it be that good, but Jesus is revealing the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can wash you completely of your sins, make you completely clean, make you completely pure, completely righteous, declares you righteous in the eyes of God. It's only in the blood of Jesus. Here at the wedding in Cana, Jesus is revealing a sign. He, he actually did it. Okay? It's not a matter. He's, he actually turned water into wine, right? As a sign of what he's really trying to say. If we don't get what he's trying to say, we're not getting what Jesus is really doing. He's saying what he came into this world to do. I have come to take up the cross and to shed my blood, to sacrifice my life for you. I have come so that through my blood, you can be saved, you can be redeemed, you can be reconciled back to me and back to my Father. I have come so that what the water and the Jewish law could never do for you, my blood is going to do for you. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we inherit the righteousness of Jesus and experiencing, experience a salvation that Jesus can only provide. I mean, we just sang that only in the blood of Jesus, right? We sang that it's only in the blood of Jesus that we find salvation in Jesus Christ.
You know, God's message at the wedding in Cana is still the message in the church today. It's still the message in the church today. And what the situation of what happened then is still the situation of our world today. That the world is in trouble. The world is in chains and the world has run out of what is absolutely needed in our lives. And they're, they don't even know it. They don't even know that the waters of the world Whatever can cleanse you, you think. The world is saying you're a good person if you do this. The good deeds of the world, which are good, right? I'm not denying that. They are good, but they can only go so far in declaring us clean, declaring us pure, declaring us righteous in the eyes of God. Right? That if you're better than somebody else, you can't really declare yourself righteous, God is saying. If you have sin, it doesn't matter if you have less sin than somebody or if you have done better things than somebody. If we have sin, God is saying, I cannot declare you righteous. Right? I can't declare you righteous. You have sin in your life. Right? That's not the point. The, world, the world's waters, the world's good deeds can only go so far that it's only in the blood of Jesus that we can be declared completely righteous. That we inherit the righteousness of Jesus. And let me ask you, for all who have tasted the saving work of Jesus Christ, Right? For all of us who have tasted the saving work of Jesus Christ, I'm sure you agree. Is there anything better? Huh? Like, is there anything better? Right? I know that in life we're tempted to, to seek out temporary satisfactions, but they're just temporary. We know it. They run out quickly. The blood of Jesus, for us who have tasted the saving work of Jesus, is there anything better? Is there anything that fills our souls and satisfies us spiritually, right? Satisfies us completely, satisfies us eternally. There is nothing better than the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? When you taste and experience the saving work of Jesus, it will leave you speechless. The saving work of Jesus is what compels us to give our lives to him. Really, it is. It's that good. That was the message when Jesus turned water into wine. And let me tell you, that's still the message in the church today. It is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Right? What the world can never do for you, only Jesus and the blood of Jesus can do for you. Accept Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. Accept him and give your lives to him completely. That's what he's saying. Now, that is the sign, the message, and the spiritual reality of our passage today, okay? But today is ministry day, 
today's ministry day, and I have, I, you'll see, I have to share the truth of the passage first. But today's ministry, and I want to focus on a certain part of our passage, right? Certain part, and it comes to us from John chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. There's a part in there I want to emphasize. The master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, right? And he, he, you know, he couldn't help it. He declared it so good. But he asked, where did this wine come from? Where did this wine come from? And then John adds this detail. And he's very intentional to add this detail, right? And he says, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. See, the master of the feast drank the wine, was amazed at how good it was, and he was blessed. Right? The wedding party, they drank the wine. They drank the wine, the water that turned into wine. We're amazed. They probably are like, wow, great, great wine. Where did we get this? Right? And they were blessed. The wedding guests. They drank the wine, they enjoyed it, and they were blessed. Everybody there tasted the water, now turned to wine, were amazed, and were blessed. But none of them, none of them knew where it came from, except the servants. Except the servants. None of them knew what Jesus did behind the scenes except the servants. No one, no one took part in what, in Jesus taking what used to be to what is now, except the servants, right? It was the servants who listened to Jesus. It was the servants who filled six stone water jars and filled them to the brim with water. It was the, it was the servants who witnessed everyone tasting the wine, tasting the work of Jesus, and be amazed, right? And they were blessed. It was the servants who witnessed it all. The master of the feast, and think about this. After the wedding feast was done, the master of the feast, the wedding party, all the guests, they were probably so satisfied, so happy. They were happy leaving. They were, you know, greeting each other. This was a great wedding feast. They're all leaving like that. But I imagine the servants different. I imagine the servants, they just couldn't stop staring at Jesus. And they're probably just shaking their head, like looking at Jesus, like what in the world just happened? They couldn't stop looking at Jesus, and I'm sure of it, I'm sure of it, of all the people at the wedding, when they went home, it was only the servants who couldn't stop talking about Jesus. It was only the servants. And when you look carefully at this whole story, at this passage, right, in our passage today, it was the ones who served. It was the ones who served who were the main characters. I, Jesus is always the main character, okay? I just want to get that out there. Jesus is the answer. I, I, I wrote that in one of my seminary answers, and, and I was like, they said it was wrong. I was like, how could you say this is wrong? Okay, but Jesus is always the answer. Jesus is always the main character, okay? But other than Jesus, in this story, the main characters, 
were the servants. In the story of Jesus turning water to wine, it was the servants who were a part of it all. And just like the story in our passage today, it's the same in the church. It's the same in the church. It's the ones who serve, who will see and take part in the work of Jesus being done. Right? It's the ones who serve, who get to see what used to be to what is now in Jesus Christ. It's the ones who serve. It's the ones who serve who witness Jesus taking someone who is spiritually dead to spiritually so alive. It's the ones who serve who are given the opportunities to take part in the miracles of God. Right? Many in the church, many in the church will taste and experience the goodness of God. It will happen and they will leave satisfied. They will leave happy and they will leave thinking God added so much to our lives. Wow, God is great. I feel so blessed. But it's those who serve who get a front row seat to all that Jesus is doing. It's usually those who serve who can't stop staring at Jesus and go home and continue to talk about Jesus. If you just want to be blessed, if you just want your life to be better, if you just want God to do something and make you feel good and satisfied, yeah, just come to church, listen to a message, and I'm sure of it. You'll go, you'll go out feeling encouraged and blessed. You could do that. But if you want to see Jesus working, right? If you want a front row seat to Jesus changing lives, right? If you want to take part in Jesus doing what only he can do, you got to serve. You got to serve. And just like the story, I believe Jesus calls servants to take the saving blood of Jesus to the world. You scoop it up. You go take it to them. It'll save them. But you go take it. You got to serve. Mark 10, 45 says this. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, right, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers, sisters, friends in this room, out there and online. It's in serving you are so, so like Jesus. Right? It's in serving you are like Jesus. Whether it's in the children's ministry or the youth ministry. And I can't help as an education pastor say wink, wink. That's the place to be, right? Or in other amazing ministries, they had this CG leader training yesterday, and it was an amazing time, right? I love Sujin uh, and Jonathan. They're my CG leaders, right? And man, just so blessed by them, right? Or in hospitality at this church, or in missions, or higher ground. Thank you, higher ground. I'm drinking coffee from you guys today, right? Whether it's in worship, 
all, as all aspects of worship, the praise team, the tech audio team, the communications team, the setup team, the visual team, all sorts of ways to uh, serve in the worship team, whether it's in leadership, the elders, right, the deacons, the PTA, the staff, whatever it may be, whether it's in the women's ministry or the men's ministry. Look, when you choose to serve, when you choose to serve people, connect people to Jesus, you're living the life Jesus lived here on earth. That's what you're doing. And let me say this. If you're someone who just can't seem to get past, like, I can't do it because of, right? If you think you're too weak or you're too uh, insignificant or insufficient or whatever the reason might be, Moses had a speech impediment. But God asked him to serve. Right? Paul had a very bad past. Matthew was a tax collector. Oh, no, he should not serve. But God asked Paul and Matthew to serve. Timothy was very, very young. Right? And I'm not just saying young just to serve. He led a church at the age of like 16 or 17. Right? But God asked Timothy to serve. Mary was a teenager, and she was like, she had, she faced all these impossible, right, situations, complications, judgments. But God asked Mary to serve. It's not about if you're void of obstacles. It's not about if you can. It's about if you're willing. Right? You know, John 2, this passage is an amazing passage. It's an amazing passage where Jesus turns water into wine and then reveals what he came into this world to do. Let me ask you this question. If you could choose to be one of the people in our passage today, who would you choose to be? Now that you know the story, who would you choose to be? Would you still choose to be the bride or the groom? That's a great place to be. The wedding planner? Maybe that's what you want to do for your life. I don't know, right? The wedding guests enjoying their time? Or would you choose to be the servants? I, for one, would choose to be the servants. Because why? The truly blessed in our passage today no doubt about it, are the servants. Are the servants. Again, if you want to experience the goodness of God, come to church. That's the message. That's the mission of the church. You can taste and see that the Lord is good. But if you want to see and take part in the work of Jesus being done, then you got to serve then go out there and put your name and say, hey, I want to know about where I, God wants me to serve, right? Then you have to choose to be the servants in God's work being done here at New Life. You have to choose to listen. You have to choose to do whatever God tells you to do. You have to, be, you have to choose to take part in Jesus turning water to wine in people's lives here and everywhere around this church. Friends, won't you not just come, 
Won't you trust God, not just come and taste the goodness of God here at New Life, but choose to serve. Choose to serve in the ministries that connect people to Jesus here at New Life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the truth of your word. I want to thank you that, Lord, you call us. Who are we that we could be in the room when you share, when you reveal what you came into this room to do? The servants were the lowest of the house. I don't even know if they were even called to, okay, to drink the wine, eat the food. They were the lowest of the people there, yet they were the most honored in that room when you changed water to wine and you shared what you came into this world to do. God, in this room, I pray for more servants. I pray for people where that would be the mission of our lives. I want to live my life like Jesus, not to be served, but to serve. I want to take part in Jesus' ministry to the world. I want to take part in Jesus' ministry here at New Life. I want to be blessed like the servants were blessed. Use me to take the blood of Jesus to people. Can we just take just a little bit of time to pray? If you feel God, the Spirit of God tugging at you, I'm telling you, whether you're young, a youth student, elementary student, or whether you feel like, hey, I'm past the period of serving, there is no stopping what God calls you to do. So can we just take a little bit of time to pray? Just maybe 10, 15 seconds. Just, let's just pray, and then I'll pray for us. So God, thank you for this call. It's not a burdensome call, even though it's a lot of work. It might be a lot of work. But Lord, it's a call of blessing. What an honor. Help us, Lord, to understand that we're joining in the ministry of God. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to save us. How good it is to taste and see that the Lord is good. But that you also call us to be ministers, to serve people, connect people to the blood of Jesus. God, that's what we want to do. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.